0: In a culture that says, no one can tell me what to do with my body, God's Word gives us a different reality for disciples of Jesus. Not only our minds and hearts, but also our bodies belong to Him. In this message from 1 Corinthians 6, verses 12 through 20, David Platt highlights the way being a disciple of Christ changes the way we think about and use our bodies. As God's Spirit indwells us, we are to live for His glory in all that we do. This is the Radical with David Platt podcast. Here is David with a message titled, The Disciple's Body. If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, I want to invite you to open with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and we are going to dive in this morning to a picture of the disciple's body. And I want to mention something, the beginning of our time together that is is important. We're going to look this morning at a text that um, we spent some time in last spring on a Sunday morning. We spent a little bit of time there when news had come out about uh, moral failure in our our former pastors, the former pastor's life from the church at Brook Hills. And I just want to say this morning, I want to to make sure this is clear out there, what we're going to talk about this morning has nothing to do with the former pastor. It has nothing to do with anybody else for that matter. It has to do with you and with me. And the greatest temptation we will face today when we come to this text is to think that this text is addressing someone else when it is addressing us. So keep that in mind as we... Begin to think about the disciples' body. We are in the process now of starting, of trying to teach Caleb all the different parts of the body. How do you know where the ears are, Caleb? Where are your ears, your eyes, your nose, your mouth, hands, feet? Why do we have a nose? Why do we have ears? And why do we have hands? And why do we have a feet? I mean, really think about it. Dive deep with me here for a second. Why Why do we have the parts of the body that we have? The prevailing philosophy in our day is that we are simply products of our DNA. This is the way we are made up. Each of us is given a body, and we do whatever we want with our body. That is the mantra of our day. We do whatever pleases us most. You look at the hot-button issues in our culture, in our society right now, and many of them revolve around that kind of philosophy. When you look at discussions about the institution of marriage, homosexuality, You look at issues like free speech and pornography. You look at issues that are out there. Many of them deal with the body, and many of them dominated by this philosophy that each of us has a body for us to do with it whatever we desire. And this philosophy is alive and well in the church. And the question I want to ask this morning is, what if it's just not true? First of all, what if our bodies are not just products of our DNA, and it's just the way we are, and maybe even deeper... What if our bodies are not ours to do with whatever we want? What if, what if they actually don't belong to us at all? Now we're diving deep into a pretty countercultural thought, the idea that maybe my body is not even my own. And it leads us into the deep end of the foundational truth of the heart of 1 Corinthians 6. And I want us to kind of get out on the table from the very beginning. As a follower of Jesus Christ, your body is not your property. Now, well, that seems weird, unusual to us in our culture. My body is not my property. And I think I can make a pretty good contention that even if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, your body is still not your property. But we're just going to dive into this picture. As a follower of Jesus Christ, your body is not your property. And what I want us to begin to think about this morning is how Christ does something very countercultural in absolutely changing our bodies. And you look in the concentric circles right there, and we see Christ in us. Those of us who are followers of Christ have the Holy Spirit in us, Christ in us. We've seen that. It affects the way we think. It affects the way we feel, the way we desire, as we saw last week. And the third blank there, it affects our bodies, mind, emotions, and body. Christ is intended to transform our bodies. And really what we see in the New Testament is that our bodies are a very significant part at the core of our spiritual lives. Now, that sounds kind of weird to many of us. We're not used to thinking of our bodies in terms of our spirituality. This is one of those areas where we have a tendency to kind of relegate faith to the spiritual realm over here, and then the physical realm is over here somewhat disconnected from the spiritual realm. But I've just got to believe in reading the New Testament that somewhere along the way, Christ is not intended to be left over here to the spiritual realm and have no effect on the physical realm. I think one of the reasons we distinguish between these two, and we don't talk a lot about what it means to have Christ in my body and for. Christ to fill my body and Christ to use my body. We don't talk about that a lot because a lot of times we see the body as a barrier to spiritual growth. In some ways, the primary barrier to spiritual growth. When we think about our bodies, we know we all have natural inclinations that are inside of us that, that cause us to do things. We do things that we know don't honor God. We have desires in us, in our bodies, if we're really honest, that we know don't honor God. And we we look at things, we listen to things that we know don't honor God. We, we touch things, we sense things, we engage in things that we know don't honor God. So we think of the body as this picture of evil. And it's, it's not helped when we go to Romans 7 and we see schizophrenic Paul there saying, I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I don't do. What I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but it's sin living in me. I know nothing good lives in me, Paul says. That is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. If I do what I do not want to do, it's no longer I who do it. But it's sin living in me that does it. He comes to the end. He says, in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work within the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law at work within my members. Then he says, what a wretched man I am. And we're just wretched for having read through this and thinking through this. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this what? Body of death. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Apparently Christ came not just to save our minds and save our emotions, but he came to rescue our bodies and literally to transform our bodies. So how, how do we glorify Christ with what we do with our bodies? How do you glorify Christ with the way you Dress your body, or the way you carry your body, or the way you care for your body, or the way you use your body. That's what I want us to dive into. It's so important here in 1 Corinthians to realize that these were people who would distinguish the two. They saw faith in the spiritual realm over here, and they thought it really didn't matter what you did with your body. And they lived in a city, Corinth, that was known for rampant immorality, particularly sexual immorality. In the city of Corinth, in the middle, there was a temple to Aphrodite, the goddess of love, and there were over a thousand temple prostitutes that people would go to regularly. Even people in the church were going to regularly, and they had relegated this to the physical realm, and they had the spiritual realm over here, and they hadn't connected the two. As a result, Paul addresses that in this chapter And he specifically addresses sexual sin, which we're going to dive into and talk about some, but it really deals with the body as a whole. This is one of the most important passages, significant theological passages in all the New Testament about how Christ transforms our body. So let's come in on what Paul says to them and then consider what this might mean for us. Verse 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food for the stomach and the stomach for food, but God will destroy them both. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he unites himself with a prostitute as one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. But he unites himself with the Lord as one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body. But he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit spirit? Who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. What I want us to see here, as we are surrounded by a culture that fills our minds, asking or telling us over and over again, do whatever you want to do to please your body. We need to fill our minds with some truths about our body. Not about what it means to please our bodies, what it means to please God with our bodies. And so I want you to see these truths that must be at the foundation of our faith that affect the way we live out in the body. What does it mean for your body to belong to Christ? Well, first of all, it means your body was created by God. Your body was created by God. Now, this is the crux of the picture, and it's in verse 13. We'll come back to verse 12 in just a minute, but... Paul uses a phrase here that was common among these Corinthians, especially the Corinthian Christians, food for the stomach and the stomach for food. In other words, what they were saying is, well, my stomach was made for food and food was made for my stomach, so automatically you put them together and there's no problem there. And the implication was that's how they also looked at at sexuality. Well, my body was made for sex and sex was made for the body, so so they go together. This is the way things work. Paul says, on the contrary, the body is not meant for sexual immorality. But here's the phrase that is so key. But for the Lord. The body is meant for the Lord and the Lord for the body. You might underline that. That is the key phrase. The body is meant for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Two, two pictures there. Okay, the first, and it's a pretty, pretty heavy truth, our bodies are meant for the Lord. But what's really interesting is the second part of that phrase. The Lord is for the body what is that about? What does that mean? It's at this point we go, at least in our minds, we won't turn there this morning, but back to where we've turned the last couple of weeks where all this picture started way way back, (coughs) excuse me, in Genesis 1 and 2. When God created us in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, it talks about how God gave us bodies and gave us responsibilities to use our bodies to accomplish. And the picture is God saw what he had made in man. He said it was what? He didn't say it was good. He said it was very good. Everything else in the world was good. Our bodies, he says, when I created man, it was very good. God intended the body for good. He created the body to be good. God apparently designed the body for a reason, much like we talked about with our emotions and our desires last week. He designed the body so that we would look to him for everything that we need in the body, for our provisions for our body. He created us this way. Here's the deal. Let me just remind you. You had very little to do with how you were created. You had very little to do with the development of your body. When you came into the world, you had no idea what to do with your body, how to care for your body. And there may be a day in the future when you will have no idea what to do with your body or how to care for your body. This is the picture we have. Let's admit it. There's really not anything significant when it deals with our body that's really due to us. We were created by God, by His design, with the bodies we have. This is foundational because that that second point there that I want you to think about with me is so key. We're created by God, and that means our bodies are invaluable to Him, invaluable to Him. He created us. We are fearfully and wonderfully made, right? Psalm 139, He formed our inmost being. He made us who we are, and Our bodies are invaluable to him. Now, this was so key back here in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 because these guys thought, much like I mentioned earlier, well, I've got my faith over here in the spiritual realm, but God doesn't really care that much about the physical realm. And if anything, he's indifferent to what I do with my body. What he cares about is my my soul, my relationship with Christ. And they needed, needed a corrective here. They needed to realize that God was very concerned about their bodies, and God is very concerned about what we do in the physical realm. That's the picture we've got here. Our bodies are invaluable to Him. And this picture in 1 Corinthians 6 is a dangerous tendency for us today too. To think that I can grow in the spiritual realm, but I can do things over here in the physical realm that don't matter as much. And as soon as we step down that road, we are on a subtle path that leads toward compartmentalization where we have this going on in our relationship with God, but we're indulging in this physically over here and one justifies the other. That is a dangerous road to walk and some of us are there. We in our sinful nature, can convince ourselves that everything is okay in our relationship with God over here and our lives over here or our ministries over here while we give ourselves physically to this over here that does not honor God. And you can't distinguish between the two. They go together. God is very concerned about your body. And this is the beauty of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Your Your body is precious to God. Therefore, honor God with your body. Your body is precious to God, a valuable treasure. Not only are our bodies invaluable to him, but he has made an eternal investment in our bodies. Listen to verse 14. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. The picture here, these Corinthians thought, well, my soul is okay. Doesn't matter about my body. God says, well, it mattered for Jesus' body. He didn't just have a soul raised from the dead. He was raised bodily. This is the whole point. Go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 with me. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 at the end. We'll read in verse 51 for a second. While you're turning there, get the picture here. A people that were they were concerned about how their souls were, where their souls would go, but not concerned about where their bodies were, or what would happen to their bodies. Distinguishing between the two. Do you think we fall into that trap today? Do you think that it's possible for us to create a Christianity where we we believe our souls are sealed for eternity in heaven, but we live in our bodies here like we're going to enjoy all the pleasures this world has to offer? Do you think it's possible for us to live in our bodies here knowing everything's okay because our soul's forgiven and in heaven and we can live our life however we want to here. This is a brand of Christianity that's so rampant in the church today and it is a horrible, unbiblical brand of Christianity that says I can do whatever I want in my body here because I know my soul's guaranteed in heaven. And this is the whole point of Christianity. Paul comes to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He's talking about the resurrection of the body. He talks about how Jesus was raised from the dead. and he talks about how If Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, then our lives are to be pitied. Paul literally says in the middle of this chapter, he says, I die every day. I'm giving my life. My body is being beaten. It's being tortured. It's being this or that. It's happening to me. If I'm doing all this and I'm not going to have a resurrected body one day, then I've missed the whole point and I'm to be pitied among men. But he says that's not the case. God did not just come to resurrect, to save my soul, to redeem my soul. He came to redeem my body. Look in verse 51. First Corinthians fifteen fifty one, listen I tell you a mystery, we will not all sleep, but we will all be changed, and a flash in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed, for the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death and sin, and the power is, is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that a great text? Death has no victory. Sin in our bodies has no sting. Because that which is perishable here is going to be raised up imperishable. The picture here, 1 Corinthians 6.14, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, is the fact that God, in His power, raised Jesus Christ from the dead, and that same power is going to raise our bodies. And we're going to reign with Him, bodily reign with Him. That's the picture. Now, we don't have time to get into a discussion in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Well, David, what's my resurrected body going to look like? Is it going to be different? Is it going to be the same? We won't dive into that. But for this point, let's realize God has made an eternal investment in your body. Now think about this, with this origin, your body handcrafted by the creator God of the universe, and this destiny, him making an eternal investment in your body destined to reign with Christ, then why would we not want to give our bodies right here, right now to the Lord? The body is for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. That's the picture here. Our bodies have been created by God. Now I want to pause here for a minute because we're about to jump into a picture of sexual sin and bodily sin in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to see how serious that sin is. Before we get there, I just want to pause and say this. I'm keenly aware as I've studied this text and I've prayed for you studying this text, I am keenly aware that there are, there are people all across this room this morning who have dishonored God greatly with your bodies in the past. And by past, it could mean years ago, or by past, it could mean days or hours ago. finding yourselves indulging in things that do not honor God with your bodies. And I know that there's there's a weight there as well as there should be, as we're going to see. And I know that there's probably also many people in this room who have had someone else dishonor their bodies. And I just want to remind you before we go any further, I want to remind you that no matter what you have done to dishonor God with your body, or no matter what has been done to you to dishonor your body, you have a God who says your body is very valuable to Him. And He has made an eternal investment in your body. And no matter how dirty the adversary makes you feel. I want you to know that when you recognize your body belongs to Christ, no matter how dirty the adversary makes you feel, there is coming a day when he will raise your body spotless. And on a similar note, I know there are many people in this faith family who the adversary is saying, all hope for your body is gone because of this cancer, or that disease, or that illness, or all the hurts that are there. And if that's the case, I want to remind you that God has promised your body is very valuable to him. And he will raise it up completely whole one day. Completely whole. Your body is created by God. It is precious to God. There is an eternal investment in your body. Therefore, honor God with it. So that's the, that's the root of this thing. Your body is for the Lord, and the Lord is for your body. Now, based on that, we go to the second truth. And here's why I can say the things I just said with complete confidence. Because your body is not only created by God, your body was purchased by Christ. Your body was purchased by Christ. Come back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and he says this just literally. You are not your own, verse 20. You were bought at a price. Christ bought you at a price. And then he says, back up in verse 15, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Well, this is a great picture. Our bodies, members of Christ himself. Well, let's break down this picture. Christ has united us with himself. That's the picture that he's given us here in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 15. Christ, he has united each of us in our bodies when we trust in Christ. He has united us with himself. Now, this goes all the way back to the very essence of who Christ is. The whole picture of Christianity revolves around the incarnation, which is what? God in a what? God in a body. God revealing himself in flesh. God in human flesh. So here's the picture of how Christ unites us to himself. First of all, Christ took on a body like us, He took on a body like us. He took on a robe of human flesh like us. He revealed God himself in the body. That's a great picture. The incarnation is an incredible picture of the fact that we know that the body is intended for good, that it is valued by God. It's it's the way God came to us in a body. So Christ took on a body like us. Second, Christ gave his body for us. For us. You are bought at a price there was no sin in his body. None. No sin in his body. Not one member of his body had he given over one time to anything that did not dishonor God, his Father. Not one thing. No sin in his body. And yet, he took upon his body the weight of all of our sin on a cross. This is why 1 Peter 1, 18, 19 reminds us God's people. Don't forget, you you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold. You were redeemed. You were purchased by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. That is a bodily picture of Him taking the weight of our sin from our bodies upon Himself. He gave His body for us. So Christ took on a body like us. He gave His body for us. Then We just saw 1 Corinthians 15, he rose from the grave, he ascends into heaven, and Christ now displays his body through us. This is the point of 1 Corinthians 6.15. Christ now displays his body through us. Christ is revealing his body through us. You don't see Christ physically right now. Instead, you see his hands and his feet, his eyes, his ears, his smiles through the hearts of his people. This is the picture of Christ in you, Christ in me, affecting our bodies. Christ is displaying his body through us. That's what he means. You, your body is literally united as a member of Christ. Christ in your body. And based on that, he says, shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? to take the body of Jesus Christ and unite it in something like prostitution. He says, no, never. This is unthinkable. That you would ever give your life, give your body, and relationship to someone else that is outside of God's design for your body. You are uniting the very nature, the person of Jesus Christ. You are indulging Christ in your sin. He says you would never do that. This truth is huge. We radically need a reexamination of what it means for Christ to be in our bodies, and we will realize the devastating nature of sin like this and in a culture where we are surrounded, surrounded every single day by sexual temptation we need to remember that we carry around the body of Jesus Christ and it is to be guarded with everything we have shall you unite Christ with the very thing Paul says that he died to save you from He died to set you free from that. What do you mean set you free? And here's where we really get into where Paul, back up in verse 12, he quotes from them. What do you mean Christ sets us free? He says, everything is permissible for me. He says it twice. He says it two other times in the same book. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. You see this phrase, everything is permissible for me. Extremely common phrase at this point. People at Corinth So, something they quoted all the time. Well, everything's okay for me to do. I'm free. This is actually something that Paul teaches at other points, the New Testament. In Christ, you are free. The problem is, they had taken that truth and so warped it to think that, well, because I'm free, I'm free to do whatever I want. Everything's permissible. And Paul says, let's rethink this phrase. Everything's permissible, but not everything is beneficial. He says, don't ask if you have the right to do something. Ask if it's a benefit. Literally, is this of advantage? And the beauty of this picture, if we had time, we'd dive into it. But in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, Paul uses this word, beneficial. And usually, it's used to refer not only as a benefit to us, but the emphasis is more on a benefit to others. Is what I'm going to do with my body a benefit for me? But more importantly, is it a benefit for others? That's what he says. What we're seeing here is that Christ has, has died to set us free. And this is on the back of your notes. He's died to set us free from these things. First of all, bodily sin that harms so deeply. Now the picture here is sexual sin, very specifically in 1 Corinthians 6. I'm going to refer to it as bodily sin because I want us to, want us to think about sexual sin as he's thinking about it. But I want us to also broaden it. This is more than just sexual sin when it comes to the disciples' body, but He died to set us free from bodily sin that harms so deeply. These Corinthian Christians were uniting themselves with prostitutes, and He comes to them and He says, is this beneficial? Is it beneficial to you? And then, is this, is this of advantage to the church? Is this of advantage in bringing people to Christ? He says, absolutely not. The implication is clear. Is this something that helps? No. Sin never helps. Sin always harms. And it always harms deeply. Sin was harming deeply in the church at Corinth, and sin, sexual sin, bodily sin, is harming deeply in the church today. Deeply. You think about sexual sin. Picture. Our world today, where there last year was over $60 billion taken in around the world in the pornographic industry, $60 billion. And it's not just in the world. Leadership Magazine, a great magazine, did a survey of leaders in churches, not just staff, leaders in churches. Seven out of ten leaders admitted to visiting adult websites at least once a week. Four out of ten pastors admitted the same thing. One survey said 50% of all Christian men and 20% of all Christian women are addicted to pornography. That's one out of every two men in this room. One out of every five women. 40% of those women altogether admitted to being involved in sexual sin in the past year. 500 Christian men at one particular retreat, over 90% admitted that they were feeling disconnected from God, over 90% because of lust, pornography, or fantasy that had gained a foothold in their lives. And it's no wonder, because we live in a culture where nearly half, in one recent survey, nearly half the people had said that it is no problem to have a sexual relationship with someone of the opposite sex other than their spouse. And it pervades the church. Sin harms deeply. And this is sin's great deception. Because it promises that it will help. promises satisfaction. Sin promises great reward. But ladies and gentlemen, it never delivers. Maybe for a moment, but it never, ever delivers on what it promises. Sin always harms, always harms And that seems simple. It seems simple, but there is a theology in the church today. Follow very closely with me. There is a theology in the church today, and I've heard it, that says that even as a Christian, if you commit bodily sin or sexual sin, when you commit sin, and you struggle with that, and God brings you through it, it will make your life better as a result of your struggle with that sin. The way it's phrased is often, I'm thankful that I struggle with that sin because of how much better it has made my life today. Specifically, it's my marriage is better as a result of adultery. My life is better as a result of my struggles with pornography. Ladies and gentlemen, that is a lie straight from the adversary. Straight from the adversary. Now please do not hear me wrong. I'm not saying that God is not gracious and not, God is not good and God does not bring healing and restore us. He does all of that. But sin never, never leaves us better than we were before. Sin never leaves us better than we were before if it did then christ really missed out because he never once sin he could have had a much better life if he had walked through the struggles on the contrary The one who is supremely wise knew that sin always harms. Sin always destroys. And so you flee from it. You run from it. You don't give yourself to it. I urge you, people of God, run. Flee sexual immorality. Run from it. It always harms. And it harms deeply. Always. And Jesus died on a cross to set you free from that. To set you free from bodily sin that harms so deeply. And bodily sin that controls so quickly. That's the next thing. Paul asks, not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me. But I will not be mastered by anything. I will not be enslaved by anything. I will not be controlled by anything. This is the way sin works. It gets in our minds and our emotions and our bodies. And it controls. It so fills. Especially sexual sin. It so fills and defiles every facet of our lives. We know this. We know this. We know that we have found ourselves at times where we're doing things that we never thought we could do before. And we see people that are engrossed in things that we thought, I could never imagine that person doing this. This is the way sin so controls, and it's little by little by little, it controls so quickly. That's why Paul says in verse 18, flee, avoid from, run from it. Don't play it around with it to see if you can overcome it, to see if you're spiritual enough. That is a horrible decision to make. You run from it. You're not good enough. Christ in you is the only one who is good enough, so run to Christ. Avoid sexual immorality, he says. Picture here, and we all know it. Some of us are there this morning. And I think it would be shocked to find that we're not alone in this room this morning. Some of us are there. We are, we are controlled and mastered right now by some desires in our body, by things in our body that we know do not honor God. And it's controlling us and it's changing the way we think and it's changing the way we act and it's changing all of that. It's controlling so quickly. And if you're not there now, you could be there tomorrow. It says later in 1 Corinthians, take Heed, lest you fall. This is what is so humbling, so overwhelming, so bringing me to my knees and studying this text this week. and I, I want to be so bold as just to urge for you to pray for me. This is not a sermon that it's easy to preach, because I know that it is more than possible for my flesh to fall into who knows what, and I 'm asking you to pray continually for me, for church leaders, and pray for each other. God would keep us from falling into sin that controls so quickly. And sin, he sets us free from bodily sin that devastates so painfully. And this is what he's saying in verse 16 and 17. Don't you know that he unites himself with a prostitute as one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. He quotes here from Genesis chapter 2. End of Genesis 2, when Adam and Eve come together and the two will become one flesh and the beautiful picture that God has designed for their bodies together. Is Don't you know that when you unite yourself to someone, this is deeper than just a a fleshly activity, a physical activity. This is uniting of your whole self with somebody, he says. He unites himself with the Lord as one with him in spirit. He unites himself with the prostitute as one with her, one with him. That's the picture we've got here Bodily sin that devastates so painfully. And that's why he says it's different. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. What Paul is saying here is very clear. Sexual sin is extremely painful, it is extremely devastating. It breaks marriages, it undercuts trust, it destroys lives leads to lying, stealing, cheating, gossip. It doesn't just go alone. It devastates so painfully. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 8, he refers to Paul refers to back in the Old Testament when 32,000 men were struck down in one day as a result of sexual sin. What a picture. God is apparently very serious about sexual sin. Well, then why was David a man after God's own heart? Don't forget, as soon as David committed adultery with Bathsheba, it led him on a road that led down, first of all, to murder. And second, God sang to him through the prophet Nathan, the sword will never depart from your house. And the baby that is born will die Things were never the same in David's life and leadership. Never the same. Sexual sin is very devastating. It's why in, if you look in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10, it talks about how those who indulge themselves in sexual sin will not inherit the kingdom of God. Will not inherit the kingdom of God Listen to what it says. Do you not know the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither the sexual immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Bodily sin all over that picture. And we say, well, are you saying that God won't forgive me now? No, look what it says. And that is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Therefore, stop and give yourself to Him. You were washed from that. You were set free from that. My goal, my goal this morning in this text, I don't think the goal of this text is just to make us feel guilty My goal is not for any person to walk out of here this morning overwhelmed with guilt. But my goal is to say loud and clear, it harms deeply and it controls quickly and it devastates painfully. So run from it. Flee from it. Christ died to set you free from it. And not just free from those things. When you're freed from slavery, you're freed to something else. This is the beauty. We're freed from all of those things we just talked about. Sin that harms and controls and devastates. He has set us free to enjoy his great purpose for our bodies. We're free to enjoy his great purpose for our bodies. This is Romans chapter 7, verse 4, which, by the way, I'm quoting from Romans numerous times. Romans was written from the city of, guess what? Corinth. There's a direct link there between these books. And he says, So, brothers, you died to the law through the body of Christ in order that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead. You belong to the one who has conquered sin, so you are free to enjoy his great purpose for our bodies. And this is this is it, isn't it? Do we trust God's great purpose for our bodies? Singles, teenagers, ladies, who will you trust? Will you trust your boyfriend to tell you what is best for your body or the God of the universe to tell you what is best for your body? Men, will you trust your girlfriend to tell you what is best for your body or the God of the universe? Husbands, wives, will you trust this guy or that lady that you work with and are flirting with, this guy or that lady that you have met, will you trust them to know what is best for your body or the God of the universe to know what is best for your body? Men and women across this room, students, adults alike, will you trust this page on the internet to do what is best for your body or the Word of God to do what is best for your body? We are free to enjoy his great purpose for our bodies. Men, I say we go with the one who said in Proverbs chapter 5, your fountain will be blessed and you will enjoy the wife of your youth and you will be exhilarated by her love. And I'm leaving out some other parts there. I just don't feel comfortable quoting this morning. But the picture is we were created to enjoy God's great purpose with our bodies. And not just to enjoy His great purpose, but to exalt His great glory in our bodies. Don't forget, it's not just about us. It's not just about what is beneficial to me. This is the self-centered nature of sin. What can I get? What can I get? What do I need to do? What did I need? And we don't even begin to think about the consequences of sin on all those around us. All those around us, who we, we are given the body of Christ to exalt the glory of God through our bodies. And when we we're free from those things. We're free to show his glory, to encourage others, to lead others to Christ by the way we live in our bodies. When we give ourselves to that which harms and that which controls and that which devastates, then, then we stop that from happening. Our bodies are no longer used as instruments in the hand of God to lead our children, to lead our families to lead the people around us who are headed to a Christless eternity. We're no longer using our bodies to lead them to Christ. We're using our bodies to lead them away from Christ. You're free to enjoy His purpose and to exalt His great glory that leads to this last truth. Your body is created by God, and it is purchased by Christ, and your body is filled by the Spirit. This is the Beautiful picture at the end. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? We don't have time to go into Old Testament history, but let me just remind you, the temple, two things. This was the place where God's presence dwells among his people. The temple is the place where God's presence dwells among his people. So you go to the temple. This was not just a normal sanctuary like we have now, and you come into this place. This was was the place, Jerusalem, the temple. Holy of holies, picture where God's glory dwelt among his people. Not only that, the temple is the place where God's holiness draws the nations to himself. That's what he says over and over again throughout the Old Testament. He says, I'm gonna draw the nations to see my greatness and to see my holiness in the temple. That's the picture we've got in the Old Testament. You get to the New Testament. Jesus Christ says, I'm the temple. I'm the place where you meet the glory of God. You want to see the presence of God? Here, I'm drawing the nations to myself. He goes to a cross. He dies. He rises from the grave. He ascends into heaven. He sends his Holy Spirit. And now, you and I, just as the temple in the Old Testament housed the presence of the living God, you and I house the presence of the Spirit of God in our bodies. Is that not one incredible truth? Our bodies, we possess His presence as the church. And the beauty of this is, you've got the Holy Spirit in you, which, yes, needs to be guarded. But don't forget, the Holy Spirit is the only one who has power to help you overcome sin, help you conquer sin. And He's living in you. So you're not going out this fight in the body alone. You've got the Holy Spirit of God in you for that purpose. And this is where the adversary comes to us and says, Well, yeah, yeah, this is what the Word says, but I just can't do it. Things are different in my life. I can't overcome this. and I can't do this. And the adversary is telling you that over and over and over again. You're too in too deep. You can't change this, this or that. I remind you that after Schizophrenic Paul in Romans 7, chapter 8, verse 1, he says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because the law of the Spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. You are not in too deep for the Spirit of God to pull you. You are not in too deep for the grace in His Spirit to radically change and transform you. He's in you. We possess His presence as the church. Not only that, we display His holiness to the nations. John chapter 16, chapter right after what we're studying in our small groups, talks about how the Spirit will come to us, will be in us to give glory to Christ that our bodies, the spirit dwelling in us then, are what draws the nations to himself. We draw people who don't know Christ to himself through the way we live in our bodies. And here's the truth. It's Romans six, it's 1 Corinthians six, every single person in this room, every single body in this room can either be used as an instrument of wickedness or an instrument of righteousness. Those are the two choices. The Spirit is in us to transform us. And God is very passionate about us displaying His holiness through our lives. And let me tell you why this is really good news, this last truth. Why is it good, David, that God is so passionate about displaying His holiness in our bodies? This is good because that means that God pursues us in our sin by His grace, He forgives us for our sin and He restores us in order to display His holiness. God is very passionate about saving you for His glory. That's the picture we've got here. He longs to purify you this morning. He died and rose from the grave so that your body could be an instrument of righteousness. What you look at What you feel, what you touch, the way you act, the way you use your bodies, the relationships you're involved in, all of that picture. He died to transform our bodies for his glory. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to invite the choir to come back up and join me up here. We've talked a lot about sexual sin in particular, thinking about bodily sin. And here's the question I want to ask. Don't miss this. Every single person in this room. Not the person beside you, in front of you, behind you. What part of your body is not bringing great glory to God? And it could be a sexual part, I'm guessing, based on Even if these statistics are half true, then that is a whole host of people across this room. What facets of your body, maybe even beyond that though, James three talks about the tongue, what we say, temper, what we're looking at, what we're taking in, what we watch, what we see. What in our body needs to be purified this morning. And I want you to get a picture in what these guys lead us in over the next couple of minutes of a God who loves you deeply and wants to purify you deeply. So consider, as they're saying, just ask yourself the question, what in my body needs to be purified for the glory of God? Well, that's it for today's episode. I'm your host, Stacey Martin. For additional articles, podcasts, events, and more, visit Radical.net or follow us on Facebook and Instagram.